Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We had Will on the show, gosh, back in 2019. Originally uh, aired on episode 573, so this is a throwback. I hosted this one. My editing skills, probably not as good as they are now, but I don't think it's too bad. Doesn't matter. Will is an incredible storyteller. Amazing story here about being a war veteran, not knowing what to do with your life, triple crown through hiking the uh, Triple Crown Trails, Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and Continental Divide Trail. And Will is the first black man to do that. So uh, we talked to him originally uh, like a week after he got off the trail. So it was, it was brand new, fresh. He's up to a lot since then. So definitely check in with him. We'll have to do an updated episode on some of his other adventures since we last spoke. But enjoy the episode. And uh, yeah, you'll hear from us on Monday. Where are you recovering? What's uh? Are you at home? Yes, I'm at home in Louisiana. Okay, and that's is that where you're from and where you grew up? I grew up in Louisiana, but I was a military brat. I was actually born in Germany, so moved around a lot in my early years. But Louisiana is home for me. Okay, awesome. So, so what did what kind of things did you grow up doing? What was some of the interests that you had, and some of the interests your family had? Uh, growing up, you know, I. Most of the stuff that I did was just like more traditional sports, basketball, football, baseball. Being born in Germany, soccer was a big thing when I was real young. Oh, yeah. My family used to do league bowling and things, but never really anything, say, outdoorsy. Okay. So what, did you excel at any of those other sports? Oh, yes. Uh, basketball, I was usually one of the top players in the states that I lived in. And uh, football, I was pretty decent in. But I had some opportunities to possibly go to some smaller schools to play basketball as a youth. Okay. And did you do that or did you uh, not pursue it? I, I was a bit of a troublemaker when I was a teenager. <laughs> okay. So a lot of those opportunities kind of went out the window. So, you know, I ended up going to the military, but that was the best thing for me. I really did need to grow up at that time. So, yeah, you mentioned you, you went into the military and was that, you know, you, you said you grew up an army brat, so you kind of knew what that life was like. Is that something you wanted to do or did you feel pressured by your family? I never felt pressured by my family. My father told me my whole life, you are not going to the military. I've done enough time. <laughs> both of us. What did I do when I turned 18? I joined the military anyway. You know, I think it was more of a, a life that I knew. So it felt like, you know, the right thing to do. I felt comfortable there. Did you feel comfortable once you joined yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, between the military jargon, military bases, the military mentality, this was more familiar to me than the civilian sector was. So I felt right at home. And, And now how long were you in the military? Five years. Five years. Okay. And now, and I know you were deployed during that time. Um, what was that experience like? How did that begin to change you? Um, was it what you expected? It wasn't what I expected. You know, it's, you kind of think things are going to be a little more organized than what they are, that you're going to have, you know, constant purpose all the time. But a lot of times, you know, no one really knows what's going on from day to day. And a lot of times you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting for the next thing to occur. But uh, I didn't, you know, I, 
in the military, I worked electronics for Apache helicopters. But when you go to deployment zones and things, it's almost like your MOS, your actual job, comes second, soldier first. So you end up doing all kinds of other additional duties from gate guards. You may be put on detainee guards. You may be sent to do convoys. So, you know, you just didn't narrow down on your just specific job. So it just made everything even more tough. But uh, a lot of the things that I experienced out there weren't things that, you know, I think a lot of people probably could just deal with on a day to day. It's actually stuff I don't really talk about too much. But, you know, it's it kind of just changed me mentally how and when I have no clue. But I came back home a different person. Is that something you could talk to your your family about, your father, I guess, who was in the military? Is that something you could talk to him, or did you just kind of keep it to yourself? My dad actually deployed to Iraq once, too, for a desert storm, but it's something we really don't talk about. Is, do you, is that just something you both just agreed to do? Because it seems like there's so much common ground there. I think we both recognize that, you know, we spent time in the same sand, and we kind of went through some of the same things, so... That's, it's almost to the point where there's nothing that I can tell him that he doesn't know and vice versa. <laughs> so we kind of just leave it off the table. Hey, all right. Yeah, you know, man, it's funny you say that. I, I have a good <laughs> friend that I went hiking with not long ago, and he was in the military for like, I think, five or six years. And I, I asked him, I said, what is the biggest misconception that a civilian has about the military? He says, he said exactly what you said. He goes, that it's organized. He goes, it is so mm-hmm. unorganized. <laughs> it's sitting around exactly what you said, man. Sitting around, not knowing what to do, not knowing why you're there, um, with these spurts of like purpose and organization, but a lot of it just waiting on something to happen. Uh, that that pretty much sums it up. Man, that's so crazy. That's so crazy to think, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that would definitely shock me if I, I was to experience that, but I never have. It's times when you're out there where you're, you're expecting something to happen all the time and just the expectations of something to happen. Even if you don't leave base or see combat or anything like that, I think that's enough to, to kind of mess you up when you're always expecting something bad to happen and it doesn't happen. And then the next day you're thinking you're waiting for it again and it doesn't happen. So I think just that experience alone, you know, it causes a lot of frustration, a lot of PTSD, and a lot of mental issues for a lot of soldiers. I've never thought about it that way. You're, you're always expecting the worst, but it's not mm-hmm. happening. And yeah, that's not a good strategy to, to live your life back home. You know what I mean? People that live like that are, are you're prone to a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic, mm-hmm. a lot of depression. So, so I imagine transitioning back to civilian life w- was not easy. Not at all. Just uh, coming back to civilian life, you know, that is one thing that the military does very well. Any issue, any problem that you have from financial to housing, there's someone's job right there to take care of just that specific thing. When you go back to the civilian sector, you're on your own. There's no person that you go to when you have this issue, that issue or another issue. And then when it comes to the mental mentality and the medical things, you know, in the military, you're kind of encouraged not to go to TMC for sick call and things like that because it's during PT hours. So when you go, it's automatically assumed you're trying to get out of doing PT. So you kind of 
hurt yourself. You know, you have these mental issues that you don't seek treatment while you're in the military. And that kind of continues in the civilian world. You forget how to be a civilian, how to make those appointments, how to ask for help, how to go talk to, you know, the mental health professionals, because this wasn't encouraged while we were in the military. So you basically have to learn how to be a civilian all over again. Dang, man. It's like this pressure to tough it out. And that's like some sometimes the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. You got injured in the military, correct? Is that something you're open to talking about? Uh, my injuries, you know, I've had my right wrist reconstructed multiple times, but that's usually as far as I go with that. I've done damage to both my knees, which is why I wear knee braces. I was going to ask you, what is what is wrong with your knees, man? Because I got knee problems too. <laughs> I want to know if we're in the same boat. I developed a, a tracking disorder and uh, my kneecaps don't just go up and down. They go side to side, diagonal, so they dislocate very easily. So the braces that I wear are designed to keep the kneecap on a steady track going up and down. But for years, that went undiagnosed and to walk, my leg actually drags. So my right side is turned out to the right. So my hip is turned to the right. I have to actually physically make my leg go straight. But with the backpack on, it kind of helps with the hip belt, makes it easier for me to keep the leg straight. Yeah, I've got that's I've got tracking issues too um, in my knees, and it's led to a lot of issues after lots and lots of years of just abuse with sports and everything. So, you know, I can relate to um, f- feeling a little limited physically after years of not thinking about it. You know? Oh yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a fun thing, but you know, it's one of those things where. It's going to bother you even if you're not doing anything. So you might as well just do the things you want to do. You might as well just beat them into the ground and get them replaced or something in like 10 years. I I actually had a doctor tell me that. He's like, yeah, the best advice I can give to you is just go out and destroy them. Really? It's like, okay, we'll do. Oh, that's perfect, man. Because a lot of doctors want to say, you know, play it safe. Don't don't do anything for until you can get replacements. It's like you're too young to get replacements at this age. So I'm just going to tell you, just destroy them and force our hand. So I guess you can say that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years. No kidding. Good Lord. 8,000 miles of hiking, man. That's (laughs) yeah. I hope there's no, I mean, that's probably makes some doctors cringe listening, but, uh, Hey, you had, (laughs) you had experiences that you wouldn't trade. I'm sure the ability to walk for, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I, I can't imagine what you've seen over the last few years. And even some of the most painful days I've had on trail have been some of the most rewarding. So it's been worth it. I can imagine. And now when you got back from the military, uh, I I know there was a big gap between uh, when you did and then when you, when you started your hikes. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I know you've probably retold this story over and over. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're probably sick of it, but I wanted to know from the first inspiration, which was a book that you saw while in the military about the Pacific Crest Trail, um, mm-hmm. to when you first stepped on the trail, why, why was it such a long period of time over a decade? You know, once, uh, I got out of the military and started doing all the surgeries, all the physical therapy, the medications, the treatment, you know, I, it just was something that kind of got lost in my mind. I completely forgot about the trail that I read about in 03 and, uh, my mental health just deteriorated more and more and more and more and when i uh, for the first maybe 10 years i got out 
I was actually told that I was having normal transitioning problems, not post-traumatic stress disorder, not uh, de- um, not depression, not anxiety, just normal transitioning problems. So I really wasn't being treated for it. So I kind of self-medicated with a lot of alcohol and, you know, mild drugs and things like that. So I kept my state myself in a state where, you know, the memory wasn't the best thing. And I was depressed a lot. You know, I had multiple times where I you know, I attempted to kill myself, you know, to commit suicide. And it just, you know, kind of just steamrolled. My mental health just got to the point where I didn't leave my house. My room basically became like my prison. And that day, back in April, uh, March 2016, I was just in my room as usual because I hardly ever left it. Depressed, frustrated and everything. And just happened to glass up of my TV and while it was on. So I'm seeing we are Reese Witherspoon with this pack. And I started remembering, you know, I remember reading something about a trail that's similar to this, you know, something somebody hiked from the beginning to the end. I wonder if it's the same trail. So I started Googling Wild and Cheryl Street and found out that she was on the Pacific Crest Trail on this on the on the show. And once I saw Pacific Crest Trail, it jogged my memory. It's like that's the trail that I read about. The one that I said I would love to do one day. It's like, you know, I'm I'm in an extreme dark place in my life right now. Maybe it's going to take something that extreme to get me out of it. And, you know, like two weeks later, I was at the Southern Terminus. Two weeks? Yeah, that night. Dang. That, that night, I Googled everything I could find about through hiking and gear and, you know, uh, town guides, yogis. You know, Carrie Quinn's uh, through hiking will break your heart. I stayed up probably like 14, 15 hours straight that night and didn't sleep at all. Just Googling and ordering on Amazon and learning about stores like REI and ordering gear from there. So I probably started that trail easily with 60 pounds in my pack because I didn't know. What I was supposed to do. So I just got everything that I could find online associated with through hiking. It's like, we'll make it work. So, I mean, just logistically, like in your life, you were able to do that. Like you, you just were able to say to the people around you, I'm going to be gone for six months. Yes. I mean, being that I'm single and I haven't been working for years with all my uh, disabilities, every time I've gone back to work, usually I've messed something up and had to have another surgery. So I live off my VA disability. I was able to kind of just Tell my family, it's like, look, this is what I need to do. You know, I spent a lot of my life making sure that I did things for everyone else. I need to do something for myself for once. And I know it sounds selfish, but at this point, I kind of think I need to be a little selfish and worry about me. And my family was all for it. I was going to ask, man, what did your family say? Because that's a that's a quick decision. They were all for it. It's like, you know, this is what you think you need to do. Go out there and do it. I think they just, you know, really, really wanted to try to help me get through what I was going through, but didn't know how. And when I proposed this, I think it gave them a way to, to try to figure out how to help me. And that was just to be supportive. So my family is some of my biggest cheerleaders. Dang. Did, did they know what the PCT was or did you have to say, hey, I, I want to walk 3,000 miles? Yeah. Uh, they, they had no clue what the PCT was. I had to explain it to them. We watched Wild together. I showed them, you know, some <laughs> yogi guides and things. 
and the concept still was kind of hard for them to grasp. It's like, so you're just going to live in the woods for six months. It's like, well, it's woods, it's deserts, it's mountains. You know, I'm not just going to be living. I'm going to be walking every day because back then I didn't know there was a difference between walking and hiking. But that, that concept, they couldn't quite grasp it at first. And then when I started sending them pictures and calling them in town and giving them updates, they started getting more and more and more into it. By the time I hiked the PCT the second time, they already knew how to use my spot device. They could track me. They knew what was going on, the terrain. They were waiting for those pictures. By the AT, I think my nieces may have knew more about the AT than I did when I started. It's, you know, you don't realize a lot of people when you decide to do this, you, you don't, it's not just you, like you said, it, you, it's doing something for yourself, but most of the time you, you are bringing so many other people along with you to learn about Definitely. something they never would have even, never would have even thought about probably for the rest of their lives. Definitely. That is crazy. So you watched, who would have thought Reese Witherspoon would have been one of your biggest inspirations too? No, Reese Witherspoon and Cheryl Strait, they got me hiking. That's, that's too funny, man. So you get all your gear together and and you head out. I mean, what was what do you think one of the biggest learning experiences was early on? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. You know, on this show, we talk a lot about the adventure, but it's honestly the time between the adventure that is most important, being adventure-ready, as we say, and the most important aspect of that is knowing your body and knowing what's going on inside your body, and the most important company that can help you do that is Inside Tracker, literally tracking what's going on inside your body. Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data and provides you with a clear picture of what exactly is going on so that you can make changes to your diet or see what's working, what isn't. And how they do it is they analyze all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to help you optimize your body and know what's really going on. So if you'd like to learn more or get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store, go to InsideTracker.com dot com slash adventure sports that is inside tracker.com slash adventure sports inside tracker can get you ready and keep you ready for all your favorite adventure sports that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode i think what i learned early on and what's benefited me since then you know, I I don't need as much stuff as you think you need and not to worry about so many of my fears. So like when I started, I started with like three water filters in case one breaks. I, I need to be ready mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. You know, double this. Three lighters. You know, three of that. I kind of learned that, you know, my fears were controlling so much of what I did and so many of my decisions. And as I was going along, I was able to, you know, reduce so many of the things that I was afraid of. And that was probably one of the biggest things I learned was to let go of so much of my fear and just not worry about as many things that are out of my control. And that became a big part of your presence on the trail too, not not worrying. Yes. By day three on the PCT my first year, I had my trail name. You know, I had all these ideas. I had all these thoughts of how I'm going to do this. You know, all this stuff I figured out in two weeks. 
But uh, I met a young lady on the trail. I gave her the trail name Cookie. And uh, this, is, this, is, this is a crazy story. Uh, you know, I uh, it was actually, sorry, the second day I was on the trail. First day. First day on trail, I got my trail name. I stayed with Bob and Trail Angela in San Diego. So excited the night before, so nervous. And started the determinist early, early in the morning. Sun's not even out. No one else is out there. I'm scrolling along, you know, the day is going by, maybe around two o'clock. I feel like I'm getting ready to die. My body is not working right. I have no energy. I feel like I'm about to fall over and collapse. And Cookie is sitting on this rock and she sees me and she's asking me, am I okay? And I'm telling her what's going on with me. I don't know what was what's happening. Maybe I made a horrible mistake. <laughs> have you been drinking water? Are you like diabetic or anything? It's like, no, I've been drinking water. I'm not diabetic. I just don't know what's going on. She's like, have you eaten enough today? And at that point right there, I felt so stupid. I didn't eat anything that day, the night before, because I was so you know excited and nervous about the trail or the day that I left Louisiana. So I hadn't eaten anything for like three or four days. But she gave me the child. Uh, I gave her the name cookies because she fed me cookies to keep me going. That night we camped together and she was like, you know, so what are you planning to do for this stretch for food? It's like, you know, I had a plan at the beginning and that was horribly right. So I'm just going to figure it out. Well, what are you going to do about the snow in the Sierra? Figure it out when I get there. But what are you going to do about getting home once you get to Canada? I got six months to figure that out. So I'm just not going to worry about it. She's like, man, you don't worry about anything out here, do you? It's like. I worry about everything in my normal life. This is where I'm unplugging. And that's when she came up with the Hakuna Matata, no worries. Wow. And and then you eventually dropped the uh, H off Hakuna, right? Yeah. You know, my first name starts with a W, so I'm always at the bottom alphabetical order. But once, <laughs> I want to the top. Oh, man, that's too funny. Yeah. That's I didn't know the story behind that. Thanks for telling that. No problem. You know, when you start any adventure, I remember my first big trip like this, uh, you just, you you imagine, you imagine, you imagine what the beginning is going to be like, then you get there and then it all hits you, the reality of it all. And it's just always so different for me than what I thought it was going to be. For you, what were the feelings that first day? You said you you were, I know you were probably really nervous. You were because you didn't eat a lot, but I mean, what? when did it become like, okay, this is why I'm here? How long did that take? Uh, you know, I kind of thought to myself before I started, I didn't have a, a realistic goal. Yes, I wanted to get to the end, but did I know I could go that far? Not at all. I think those first like hundred miles, it was more of, uh, I don't know if I can make it to this. I don't know if I can make it to that. Worry more about, you know, just doing the actual mileage than I was working on myself. But once I got to that hundred mile marker, those were some glorious rocks right there. They re-energized me and gave me the confidence to know, you know what, I can survive out here. I know what I'm doing. I'm okay. So now I can concentrate more on just working on myself. But it took me probably about 100 miles before I could actually do that. Okay, 100 miles. Still not bad. Just what a week and a half or so. I don't know how long, how fast you were hiking, but I'm sure you started slow with all the weight and getting your body used to it. Um, was there oh, any yeah. place along the trail you were really looking forward to that maybe you did some research on beforehand? You know, in the two weeks that I was uh, 
actually doing research, the places that popped out the most to me was I wanted, really wanted to walk across the Bridge of the Gods. I really wanted to see Timberline. And I was super interested in the desert just because the pictures I saw, that's, it's a completely different type of desert than what you see overseas. You know, so much life, so much life in the desert, you know, in Southern California. So I really, really wanted to check that out. What what happened that first approach or that first attempt where uh, you weren't able to finish? What went on and, and how far did you make it? Hiked the entire desert section to Kennedy Meadows, got there and felt like I was the king of the world after 702 miles. <laughs> awesome. um, I, I was proud of that accomplishment. You know, got into the Sierras, uh, got up to around, uh, got up to Lone Pine and had bad elevation sickness. So had to go back into Lone Pine, went back up. And then we climb Mount Whitney and halfway up Mount Whitney, my right knee dislocates. Mm. And it just usually when it dislocates, it pops back in, you know, fairly easy. This time it just wouldn't do it. So we go up still. It pops back in place a little bit. I'm just in pain the whole way, the whole way down. We uh, continue going. So we go over to over Kearsarge down in the Bishop. And by the time we're in the bishop, it's not set properly, and it's just really, really swollen, swollen, really painful. So at that time, I made the decision that I can't do these passes now, not with this like this. So I go up to Oregon. I hike a lot of Oregon. I see the Bridge of the Guys, which was one of the things that was on my list to see. And by that time, it's like, I don't think I can take much more, so... I flew back home to get medical treatment, which was crazy because the second I got off my plane here in Louisiana, I was walking to baggage plane and stepped down and boom, knee popped right back into place. Oh, man. So I was there for, I was here for about a month and one of my trail family called me and told me how he was getting close to Portland. You know, trail days was coming around. He's been hiking by himself for weeks now because everyone has gotten in front of him. And I told him, okay, cool, bro. Well, I'll see you in a week. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I'm coming back to hike with you. So I fly back to Portland and do a, a stretch of Oregon I had already done before again. We hang out at Trail Days and we do Washington together. So that year I did a total of like 1,650 miles. And then didn't you come back the next year? I, I knew before I even got off that trail. It's like, now that I know... What uh, I know I can do this, you know, injury is what took me out and then I'm comfortable here and I'm accepted in this community. I knew before I was off the trail the first time I'm coming back next year because now the goal is to finish this thing. And could I have picked up and just did the sections that I missed? Yeah, but I had so much fun the first year. It's like, no, I want to go back to the beginning. You know, I want to build the trail legs. I want to talk and hang out with the people who are first time through hikers. You know, the trail, the whole trail family aspect is a big thing of through hiking to me. So I went back to the beginning and stayed there until it was done. After what you, so hold on, <laughs> you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with PTSD, you're dealing with injury. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you find the, the mental strength to just say, I'm going to do 1600 miles I've already done all over again. And all yeah. this stuff I didn't do. Like, how do you, like, were you, were you, it doesn't sound like you were really beaten down internally. You know, I think at that point in time, 
it was easy to make the decision to start back at the beginning because the the time I spent on the trail a year prior was, you know, some of the happiest times I'd had in like the last decade. You know, I started mm-hmm. seeing glimpses of, you know, the man I was and the man I could become versus who I've been. And I was kind of addicted to that. I wanted that feeling again immediately when I got back home. And I think that all season, the concentration became more of finishing and figuring out how to bring that person back here when I'm done. And that's what I worked on a lot before I started at trail and my personality started coming back out. You know, then he started getting the social media pictures where it's doing more than just sitting there looking at the camera, doing silly stuff and posing and things. I felt like I was living again. But that's what made the decision real easy to go back. It's like, can I go back and just hike a thousand miles in like two months? Yeah, but I can be that man I want to be for six months. So easy choice in that. And so you 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 spend that next off season preparing. Were you? I mean, was it hard to just sit there and and wait until the the weather cleared and and you could start at the beginning of the season? Very difficult. It is for <laughs> me every year. I'm usually an early starter because I don't want to wait any longer. Oh man, because I'm sure there's not a whole lot of. I mean, if, especially if you're back home, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of people to talk to about it, uh, person to person there in Louisiana. Uh, it's, it's very rare that I get the opportunity to geek out about through hiking when I'm home. This last off season, it was a lot better. I had uh, two people reach out for me, one from Mississippi Gulf Coast, which is only 30 minutes away, and one from Baton Rouge here in Louisiana. They were both going to be hiking the AT this year. So one of them came down and hiked with me. We did gear shakedowns. The other I would talk to on the phone a lot and give her a lot of the information that she had been looking for. And both of them should actually be finishing the AT here in the next four days. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, I understand. I'm from Florida, and it's just not the same. It's not a culture like it is out west of uh, all these things. Like people don't even know it's out here, you know? Yeah. yeah well, until yesterday... Until the the whole Fox News interview yesterday, I always called Louisiana my sanctuary. You know, the more popular I've, I've got it with my social media stuff, when I'm in Colorado or California, Oregon or someplace like that, people know me, they see me and they want to talk, they want to hang out. And I never mind doing that, but at times it can get overwhelming when it's a lot of people. But when I come back home to Louisiana, it's like, oh yeah, it's just the guy with the dreadlocks. You know, they don't know anything <laughs> about through hiking or the triple crown or Acuna, you know, here I'm Will. But that's starting to change more and more to it, thanks to, you know, a lot of the social media presence, the film we did last season, and now Fox 8 News. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, now you're on the, the the Adventure Sports Podcast. You should feel pretty honored at this point, <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, 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 definitely, definitely. It's a huge honor. No, man, we're not. We're nothing like we're nothing like the other things you got lined up. So I'm, I'm, I appreciate this. Uh, it, trust me, it's a huge honor. I never did. I think when I took first steps on the PCT that I would be here. So I'm honored when anyone wants to, you know, hear and share more of my journeys. So big shout out! Thank you so much for hitting yeah, me up. Yeah, and, and so. You know, you you just completed the triple crown now. But when you when you finish that PCT, um, when you did it all again, which just still blows my mind because I have a hard time doing things twice, man. I oh, 
when you got to the end, where did you already know you wanted to do the other two? Uh, like, was it that good of a feeling to say, I got to keep going? <laughs> okay. If I'm being honest here, I know I'm probably going to tick off a lot of through hikers that hear this. But, you know, halfway through the trail, I started thinking about the other trails. Now, the CDT, I'd always heard about the brutality of it. And I knew seasoned hikers that had been hiking their whole life. They didn't want anything to do with that. I hadn't done a lot of research on it. So it was like, yeah, the CDT is probably something I'll never do. Then it was the AT was the other option as far as the big three goes. And this is the part that's going to tick a lot of hikers off. I had no desire at all to do the AT. Why is that? It just did not sound like it was going to be a good time to me. You know, it seemed from what I've, uh, from what, you know, on the West Coast, when you start hiking there, you hear about the AT as the party trail. You know, the yes. infamous drunken parties at the hostels, a lot of crazy things going on. And it was, it was the complete opposite of the PCT, which was something I love. So if it's the opposite, I'm probably going to hate it. So I had no desire to even fathom doing the AT until we were probably like 600 miles from the finish. And it's like, you know what? I'm doing the AT. And my trail family looks at me and they're like, are you serious? <laughs> as much as you said, you don't want any part of that. It's like, you know, I don't want to stop hiking. I might as well hike on some of the bigger trails. Also, I mean, it's a different experience, and I'm, I'm always down to try different things. You know, it sounds like it's different than what we do here on the PCT, but I'd like to check that out for myself. So the next season, I was on the AT. Man, that is so funny you say that. I have always felt that way about the AT, especially compared to, like, the PCT, where it seems so... uh or, or the CDT, where it seems so much more rugged, it's much more diverse. Like, you know what I mean? You get above tree line, you're going, you know, it's just everything's more extreme and dramatic. And then, like, yeah. the AT always felt like this very mundane, quaint, like, cousin to those two trails. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you 100%. You know, if you want views and, you know, spectacular scenery and maybe even a, a bunch of sketchy stuff, the PCT, the CDT, that's your avenue. If you want a more social experience and have, you know, a whole bunch of uh, great towns to go check out, the AT is probably more your thing, mainly because of the woods and the, the, the green tunnel. You know, it makes it hard for you to get the views that you would get on the other trails. And for me in 18, when I did get the viewpoints, it was almost always overcast. So what kept me going on that and the thing I really loved about that trail was the actual social environment. You know, my trail family was a pretty good size and came from all kinds of different backgrounds. And you met so many other people there who were first starting out through hikers and, you know, reminded me when I was still at a terminus, not knowing what to do. So the social aspect of the trail on the AT is pretty doggone cool. I mean, in a way that probably helped fulfill a different part of you that the other the PCT couldn't do. You know, the uh, the PCT, I kind of learned how to, to get my courage back and and I learned how to be, you know, a, a part of a group again. The AT, I kind of learned how to be a leader again. You know, I had experience through hiking. My personality started coming back out, so people gravitated to me. And there were so many people, you know, on trail in towns and things like that, that it kind of forces you to be in that social area. 
So I, I was able to redevelop my social skills with a bigger group of people and develop my leadership. Do you call yourself a leader? Uh, most of the time, if you ask people I hike with, they'll tell you I don't want to take the lead. I'm more of a let's uh, be democratic and, you know, the majority what we want to do, that's what we're going to do. But a lot of times I get put into that role. I guess uh, as uh, my, my homie Shep would tell me, I'm kind of an alpha at times. People always look to me and be like, OK, so what do you want to do? And if I give my opinion, that's usually what we end up doing. But I, I try hard not to, you know, the leader takes the blame. So I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's interesting. So so the social aspect is what was most important there. Well, you didn't have that on your next hike, I imagine, to the degree at all. You know, it, it was that if, if, if anything was a little disappointing about the CDT, that would be what it was, you know, trail families and you know, the other hikers have become such a big thing for my hikes. You know, it was the thing I looked forward to most in the off season. This uh, hike on the CDT, outside of me and undecided, we really didn't develop a trail family to just hike together for huge sections. You know, later in the trail, we started meeting other hikers and can hang out with them in town and occasionally camp with them. But for the most part, it was just us two. We went, uh, we went from the border of Mexico all the way to around Chama before we finally started seeing hikers. And most of them are people who flipped up to get snow gear and things. They sent to Chama and then we're going back. It took to almost the middle of Colorado before we actually had the opportunity to camp with another hiker. Gee, middle of Colorado. That's about where when I met you too. Yep. If for you know a lot of people that listen to this show are people who want to do something like this but never have. Well, can you just mm -hmm. explain um, what 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 is it like living with a trail family? You guys are literally hiking together every day, camping together every day, and you're just kind of moving all as one big unit. Is that is that right? Uh, yeah. Um, when you're with a trail family, you may not hike you know single file all day long, but you set the same goals. Yeah. Get in a camp, you know, you know, you want to do your 20 or your 25 the next day. You pick a good waypoint for where to meet up that night and you kind of just go at your own pace and distance. That way, no one's forced to travel with a really fast person. And if you're slower in the group, you're not forced to try to keep, you know, keep up or anything. So we, that's what we would usually do. And occasionally stop during the day at water sources to congregate, see how everybody's doing, making sure the plan is still good, everybody's still vibing. You may stop for lunch and you get to, you know, congregate again, eat some lunch. You know, the person in the front may see some, something that day that the person in the back didn't. So you get to kind of chop it up and catch up on how the days go. Then when you get to camp, you know, you look forward to seeing these people because now we're just going to sit around. We're going to talk about our day and joke and laugh. So, you know, your trail family, is reminds me so much of being in the military. You bond with these people instantly. Instantly, the people in your trail family become family. You know, you're a team. You all have the same goal. It's either you're trying to make it to Georgia to Katahdin or Mexico to Canada. And we're going to help each other do this. But you end up, you end up getting so close to these people so quick that you may, you know, share or do things with them that you only do with people you know in your whole life, but you feel like you do know them that way. So it's, it's, it reminds me so much of the military, Don. Wow. 
That sounds awesome. When you just completed uh, last week, what were what were some of the feelings going through your mind? What was some of the was it just focused on that finish line, or was it more, you know, what am I doing next, or or, or am I just getting to this goal? What was it like for you? You know, I, I think I started contemplating it a few hundred miles before the end. You know, I've never been a huge emotional person, so the big emotional outburst at the terminus didn't happen. But I start, I was thinking more about, you know, what to do next season. I have so many ideas of things I want to do and more about if, uh, you know, what I've been doing the last few years and now achieving the Triple Crown is inspiring, you know, more people of color and more veterans to hit the trails. And how can I continue to do that and just make it bigger? And I think that's more what was on my mind the last few hundred miles is, okay, the Triple Crown is done. But, you know, the work isn't done. So how do I continue the work and just let it grow? Does it worry you? Uh, no, not really. Some, I mean, maybe a little bit at times, but not so much because, you know, the response to, you know, everything has been so great. And I already know we've been helping and touching so many people's lives. And I'm like I said earlier, I'm one of those people where I'm willing to try pretty much anything. And there's so many trails. There's so many other experiences out here that I can share with people. And there's a whole big world of hiking, you know. So filling that gap isn't going to be hard. It's just a matter of settling on what I want to do next. There's a lot of options after the Triple Crown. You know, those are obvious. But like, man, there's millions of miles of trails out there around this world, you know. Yeah, it's like I've been floating. Floating around, thinking about the AZT, the Teora, Chile, Patagonia, the Trail of Parks, going out and uh, hiking the North Country Trail. Uh, it's just a gambit of things, and I just can't sit down and narrow one thing down yet. But I figure by the end of next month, I'll be planning whatever it is. I'll have it picked out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you don't even need that fun. Well, you just need two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you're, 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 probably, you're probably right. <laughs> So can I ask you this, you know, for, I mean, it seems like an epidemic, man, like people, people are dealing with mental health issues. I know it's something I've definitely struggled a lot with. Um, Mm -hmm. And the outdoors seems to really just dramatically help it. What, What is it to you about hiking that helps you deal with that? If some, for someone who's never, never hiked before that's dealing with depression or anxiety, how do they, what does hiking do to that? I think hiking actually gives you the ability to actually confront some of the things that have been uh, frustrating you, making you angry, depressing you without the distractions that you get in your normal day to day. So when I'm out on a trail somewhere, if I'm frustrated, I can scream my lungs out and everyone's cool with that. When I need to work something out in my head, I can work it out without my cell phone going off or cars and motorcycles driving around or the TVs blaring or people asking you for this or that. It's this is just you. And sometimes it can be frustrating because, you know, when you're hiking, you pretty much think about every decision that you ever made in your life, whether it was the wrong thing, the right thing, your interactions with different people, you confront your demons. So you have nothing but time to be in your head and just work things out. Yeah, that's one thing you got a lot of is time to think. Mm-hmm. It's a huge blessing that is not readily available in today's world very often. It really isn't. 
we're distracted. We're distracted from working on ourselves by pretty much everything in our normal day to day. And it almost it takes something like this to break out of that. I mean, I don't I don't know how you have the discipline outside of something like this to 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 do that daily. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, some people may have their uh, like yoga and things like that that they turn to to uh, kind of you know concentrate on themselves. But you know, for a per- for me, it's not enough reinforcement because once I leave that yoga studio or that gym, you're right back to all these distractions. Mm-hmm. And I I need I need I crave more than an hour or two hours for myself at times. Yeah, through hiking is where it was for me being out in nature. Yeah. Six months. You got six months to think about a problem. <laughs> yeah, or even if I go, even if I go on a, a hike here on a bike trail or something like that, you know, I know I don't have to be dealing with all the distractions until I want to. Versus going to a gym and your session is over within an hour. Now you have to go back to it. You know, I can go out on a bike trail and maybe it's something I'm working out in my head and five miles I got it worked out. Cool. But if it's not, I can just stay out there and 10 or 15 or 20 miles may go through. So I don't have to come in until I've figured out what I need to figure out for myself. And that's the one of the beauties of through hiking, too, is, yeah, everyone wants to get to the end. But while you're out there, if you worked out everything you needed to work out and accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish in your hike, you can always end it. And it's not a failure. No, because you figured out what you needed to figure out. You worked out what you needed to work out and you improved yourself. So it, it takes you 100 miles or 3,000 miles. That's a successful trip, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you're at the end of 3,000 miles and not figured it out yet, well, there's another two two other trails you can do and then some, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do them again if you want. Exactly. And, you know, that those options are there. They really are, man. And that if you can't figure it out in a hundred thousand miles of hiking, well, you you probably won't have to figure it out anymore because that's that's your whole life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now you're you're a professional hiker now, so don't worry about the other stuff anymore. Right, there, right. You there you go. <laughs> so, man, does uh does being the first African American to do this that mean anything to you? Is that something you care about? You know, I think that's starting to slowly finally sink in. You know, uh, since Alda doesn't keep track of, you know, uh, demographics and things, it was something that I didn't know if it could be proven. You know, I've done research a little bit about it. I was wondering, uh, Merrill, they've done research on it. And uh, most of the through hikers that I've ever talked to or interacted with had never heard of one. But I think it's I'm honored to be the first black uh, African-American male. To triple crown but more importantly to me it's a huge achievement because it shows people from my community that you can be accepted in nature and you can actually thrive in it so the big part of achieving a triple crown for me was mainly to be able to get a bigger platform just to spread that message i mean congratulations and as you know my last question um, i don't want i want to be respectful of your time you know do, if you if you could say something to yourself when you were in the middle of that kind of 12 years of exodus or whatever you want to call it what would what would you tell somebody that's in that right now and what would you tell yourself back then you know as cliche as it sounds i think i would tell myself better days are coming hmm. 
you know, just just stick it out. Understand that dark clouds come, but so does sunshine. And just, you know, do what you got to do. You're still worthy. You can still accomplish things. You're not crazy. You're not alone. There are so many people that are just like you all around the United States. So, I mean, for me, that was one of the big things is I felt like I was different. Felt like I was crazy. I'm not accepted. Everyone's looking at me. But that's not the case. There's so many people dealing with mental health problems and there's so many resources out there to help you. And if one thing doesn't work, you try the next thing. You know, life is too, life is too precious just to, to give up on it and to just shut down and close down. The interactions with people, you know, are, are we, we're as humans, we crave that. We have to have it. We need it. So it's too much to just say, I'm done with it. I'm not going to interact. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do anything. No, we need that. So just keep at it and better days will come. And if all the options you try don't work, there's always through hiking. <laughs> well, you can try that first. Oh, yeah, you can try it first. You can skip some of it and try it first. You might find a good combination of things to do to help you out. But there are better days out there. You're just going to have to get through some of those bad ones to get to them. Yeah. Amen, man. That's, 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 that's applicable to so many people listening right now. It's something we don't always talk about, but we try to be pretty open on this show about, about mental health and about just challenges all of us are facing that, you know, mm-hmm. we, we might not talk about to people around us. So, well, man, Will, I, I mean, I appreciate it. Is it you need parting words? Sorry. I think I cut you off. Um, no, just, I mean, hopefully I'll meet some of you guys on trail and we're going to keep these good vibes going just because the triple crown isn't, is done. Doesn't mean we've stopped. So just stay tuned and we'll let you know what the next adventure is. Awesome. Well, Will, uh, thank you for your service. Uh, congratulations again. And yeah, thanks for doing this. It's pretty awesome. No problem. No problem. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you get ready for a more important interview. <laughs> I'm sure you got a bunch Stop. lined up. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> I'm just playing, man. All right. Yes. Hey, no problem, Mason. You take care. Right. Hey, don't, don't don't hesitate. Reach out, man. If you ever want to chop it up or if you ever you don't need anything, please hit me up. Florida is my sanctuary. I live in Colorado, but we're going to be moving back and uh, kind of the same thing. You know, it's 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 a nice break from it all and uh, just kind of a little oasis. So I'll be down in the south soon. All right. The south is ready. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting ready. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Have a great day and uh, look forward to following you. All right, homie. You have all a right. good one. Right, yes, sir. First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.